Hello, this is Chris. And this is Andrew, and welcome back to what is probably going to be the last episode of the Video Games Cover to Cover's coverage of the Final Fantasy I don't VII think Remake. Any probably about it. I mean, I, there's always a possibility, I guess. This but yeah, is we're entirely the last planning. There, there is nothing left, Andrew. You know, I Final Fantasy has been a wild ride, and uh, we can just end it here. You know. Okay, we're done. All right. Good job, everybody. So this was episode twelve, and uh, here we go. This is it for the podcast. We're just done. Well, I, I, are we finished? <laughs> I didn't think. I thought we. Were oh, gonna, I thought you were saying we were just done. I okay. thought we were going to play Dragon Age after this. Uh, oh, you mean Dragon Quest? Yeah, that one. Yeah, we'll talk about that at the end, though. Anyway, so at this point, we left off at the end of the last episode with getting through Hojo's lab and dealing with the, the mandatory party split section. And now we're heading to the president's office. We get back up to the top and see that, you know, like we mentioned before, Genova is gone and there's like a trail of, I guess, Icker or something. And we follow that. Icker? Yeah. There's, well, there's something on the floor that's like been dripping everywhere that we follow. What, I, I, what, what does Icker even mean? It's just like gooey um, blood. I don't know what you want to call it. I, I don't really, there's something weird, there's purple goo, I think is what I would have called it. Yeah, and that's why I called it Icker instead of blood, because Icker is like a weird, like, thick, sort of, I don't know. I just asked you what Icker was, and you didn't give me a definition, so I said purple goo. Okay, well, there's purple goo everywhere. (laughs) So there's purple Icker everywhere. And we go up the stairs. There's a myriad of this stuff. It's everywhere. And we follow the path, and we go up the stairs, and we're at the president's office. Unlike the original game, though, where we walk up and he's been stabbed by a giant sword, he's just not there right now. Well, I was going to say, unlike us, the president isn't there. Yeah, that's also true. But you hear him <laughs> screaming for help. You know, I, I take my sweet time and do a little vending machine shopping and take a nap on the bench because, you know, I don't whatever. I'll get there when I get there. Yeah, that whole section really made me anxious because there were two benches, Andrew. Yeah. And that cannot bode well for anybody. No. Because there's a bench here, and then there's another bench on the other side. Why, game, would there be two benches? Look, sometimes President Shinra just likes to walk out there and stare at his office because the benches face inward, not outward, like you would expect. He wants to feel the wind in his hair, I guess. I mean, honestly, who really knows what that president is thinking at any given point in time? Well, at the moment, he's thinking, I really wish someone would come help me. Well, I mean, yeah, but we both know that that's not going to happen. And until we obviously have to, you know, help him. Yeah, it looks for a while like Barrett's about to let him fall. He, like, pleads for, I'll give you whatever you want. And then Barrett's like, what makes you think, you know, you have anything I want? And then Tifa yells at him and he reluctantly pulls him up. Well, because that's the thing, he because Barrett's like, yeah, you don't know a thing about me. Don't even pretend like you do. And he goes, you know, I'll give you all the money you could ever want and everything. And Barrett's like, yeah, okay, um, I could just kill you right here. And he actually turns him around as if he's going to kill him. And that's, yeah, that's when Tifa kind of steps in. And she's like, Barrett, come on, you know, just come on. Now, this is what irritates me, Andrew, to, to a... a unbelievable degree we now barrett talks about what he 
actually wants, which is basically just to clear everybody's name. Why did they not tie the president up? Why did Barrett just let him scurry over to his desk? Because unsurprising to me, he immediately pulls out a gun and points it at Barrett. And I'm like, okay, first of all, Barrett, you have a gun for an arm, so you, and it's a Gatling gun, so you kind of have a leg up here on uh, Mr. Shinra. But why did you even allow him to get to his desk in the first place? You see, the thing that stands out to me is this is another one of those tropes that I kind of find really annoying, where it's like, you know, nobody has any moral qualms about, like, or, or, like Tifa in this case, she did, apparently doesn't have any moral qualms about like all the Shinra soldiers and stuff we're getting through who are mostly just doing their jobs or whatever. But the person who's literally responsible for everything now, suddenly she's like, yeah, we can't do that. That's that would be wrong. So so wait a second. You're upset that they didn't just let him fall to no, his I'm death? Upset. I'm upset that they have that trope that like we act like, you know, the person who's in charge, who is the person who would theoretically deserve it more than anybody else, gets a, oh, well, we have to be better than that. But all the people that they were fighting who were literally just doing their jobs or whatever, nobody comments about that. Like, it, it's just, it's one of those times where, like, the points where we have, like, show that we're the good people or whatever are always really morally weird, which is something that, again, like any action movie or anything else, you know, let's not worry about all the people we mowed down to get here. But suddenly the guy who has been running everything and if anybody theoretically would deserve to die of any of them it would be that guy he's the one we have to suddenly be like well i don't know about this it's almost as if my argument about them being you know pseudo bad guys was correct the entire time because you're right it doesn't make any sense it's a trope that it always happens in in fiction and it is very annoying admittedly barrett was obviously going to kill him and tifa was staying on the same path that she's always stayed on which well, is except yeah, for no. again though except for again like all of the guards and stuff that she didn't care about us killing that's the part i'm getting at was like all of a sudden now she cares or as if anything like you'd think she'd be more on board with this than the than the reactor explosions and stuff because like this would be okay this is the one guy who's really responsible for everything now, I'm really confused here, Andrew. You, you said killing guards. Uh, what guards have we killed? I, I'm, not, I'm not sure what you're alluding to here. Uh, because we had a fighting scene with Tifa and Cloud earlier in the game in which you argued that his sword was obviously blunt because all of the people that yeah, we were and, fighting and in that section... Yeah, and you proceeded to establish that I was crazy and he definitely super murdered all of them, so I went, okay, and... I'm you, didn't, with that. you did not say okay. You doubled down and said that Tifa said that all of those guys were alive in the end. And we specifically commented on how she said that they were alive and okay. that I she guess, was scared of Cloud because of okay, so every, him potentially killing them. So I guess we are just going to, I mean, in general, like, is that the position the game wants us to take that we didn't actually kill any of these people and they're all just okay? Like legitimately, is that what we're supposed to take? From, that's not like me trying to be sarcastic. Is that what the game wants us to think that we just beat everybody up? I have to assume so, because why would they have that section where they explicitly explain that you're definitely not killing people this whole time? The fact is again, in the arena, when you definitely kill, murder all those people you immediately talk to them after the fact sure the you know 
we don't we obviously we don't see the house in that little room which would have been amazing <laughs> yes it would have but we see the the robots being destroyed and everything but the people are very clearly still alive so from my perspective it does kind of sound like this entire time we're just knocking people out which would make us incredibly terrible you know rebels or whatever it is we are but it kind of seems like the game because i also want to point out giant monsters that we definitely very clearly kill fade away just like they did in final fantasy 10 but regular people definitely don't fade away they just kind of disappear i think that's a very specific difference and the reason why it's like that is because the game is insinuating that we're not actually killing anybody. And I'm only basing that off of that one video that from from saving Johnny. But if I d somehow didn't kill all those people then, then I have to assume it's entirely possible for me to have not killed all the people. Yeah, I guess. That's going to make their situation really awkward, though, because then it's going to be like everybody's just going to wake up and be like, it was those three people that we definitely everybody saw marching through here. Like, that's going to be... Well, although, I guess they're leaving the city, so it doesn't really matter. But, but they didn't the, know that at the time. Shinra already knows that it's them because they have video footage of them. That's why Shinra's looking for the guy with a gun arm. Like, in the very first section, we already know that it's them. Well, we know it's Barry. We know about Cloud and Tifa. They didn't have video footage for, at least as far as we know. They didn't have video footage for Tifa. They definitely had video footage for Cloud. They just didn't release it for whatever reason. Yeah, we had that conversation. Exactly. It's like there's no way that the security camera just happened to cut off for Cloud or whatever. It, that just doesn't make any sense at all. And for pl game plot reasons, like they can't just show him and then wa everybody walk down the street. Although everybody walks down the street with clearly Barrett in the sector. Like they've already released the video. And after the plate falls, you walk around with Barrett and nobody's like, hey, it's that guy. Yeah. And I mean, he's even openly being like, yeah, we didn't do that stuff. Like, like not even remotely trying to hide who he he's is. basically like yelling at everyone. Avalanche is not that bad. Um, hey, uh, I think I found Avalanche. I'm not 100% on this. And then Barrett immediately goes over and knocks them out specifically. So this whole time he's been shooting like uh, dummy bullets. That's why they don't do as much damage. And that's why okay. Aerith doesn't do as much damage because she is magically beating everybody with magic bullets and they just can't do as much damage because she's she's taking it easy on people. So it's like setting your phaser to stun instead of kill. I have to assume because there's no blood or anything in the game and they obviously needed to keep that PG-13 rating. So I would have to assume that they are operating under the assumption that you're actually not killing anybody. Sort of the same way as when you fight another Pokemon and its health goes to zero, it just faints and goes back into its Pokeball. Yeah. It just seems weirdly like pulling their punches for a game where they're showing us blowing up buildings and stuff like that. But that's fair. Yeah, I know. I I totally agree with you. We definitely murdered everybody. We murdered everyone when we were saving Johnny. We obviously didn't murder Johnny and we weren't going to, but it's very clear that we've been killing all these people. I'm pretty sure the game just wants us to think that we didn't, so that way they could get a good rating. Because if or, they get that R rating, then it's not, you know, people aren't going to buy it. It's going to be more difficult for the game to, you know, 
do as well as it could. I mean, or I mean, it could just be specifically because they want to, you know, try to paint us as the unambiguous good guys and not have us doing that. Yeah. And that's a fair point. There's plenty of games where, you know, you can shoot stuff even with blood and stuff that still get PG 13. I mean, not obviously not stuff like to the level of doom and things like that, but a lot of like, no, I take that back. The ones I was thinking of now, I think about it. I'm like, I'm pretty sure those were all M. So never mind. Yeah. I don't think there's, I don't think you can actively show blood in a game in the act of, you know, killing somebody or something and get a non mature rating. Anyway, so we save the president and then he pulls a gun. And at this point, obviously, things have gone very different because we have interactions with the president, let alone because, again, the first time we meet him, he was already dead in the original game. Well, things go super different because Setheroff immediately shows up and stabs Barrett with his sword because that's what surprises that surprises both the president and Barrett. Setheroff comes up, stabs Barrett and then immediately takes out the president. Yeah, and then the whispers are like, oh, well, we can't have this and save him. I, Andrew, I, I am, I hate the whispers. I'm just going to come out and say it. I absolutely hate them. I hate them as a plot device. I hate their entire existence. They make no sense at all. I, I don't disagree. I, I, I really don't like the whispers because again, like we talked about, just stick to your guns. If you want to change something, just change it or don't change it, but don't constantly beat us over the head with it. And this is not, not remotely the last we're going to see of, of the whispers specifically changing something either, even though we're almost to the end of the game. And, and the reason why I hate them so much is because the whispers don't even follow their own rules. Yeah, what what they what they decide they do and don't have to do is very arbitrary. But again, also like this kind of comes back to is the planet evil because the planet seems to want a lot of really bad things to happen. The planet we, we firmly so, so, established that the whispers are part of the planet at this point. Well, because that's part of what Red Thirteen says. He he says that their fate and they keep the planet on its destiny. And, and as Tifa says it in a very weird way, you mean capital D destiny. Yeah, that destiny and capital F fate. What it was? It was just a weird thing for her to say that I took note of because I'm like, well, are, are you, what? But yeah. So again, like we go back to the the sector seven thing. So the planet actively wanted everybody in sector seven to die. Apparently, they they actively wanted Wedge to die, but then, oh, surprise, surprise, he doesn't. Well, not just that because. Biggs and Jesse, they're all in a position where they're doing relatively well and the whispers get them killed. But then they decide to bring Barrett back. They didn't stop us from going and getting a different blasting agent. So am I to assume that that happened in the original game too, even though I know for a fact that it didn't? That's what I'm getting at. They're not even following the same rules. The whispers don't stop us from going back to see if Wedge, Biggs, or Jesse are still alive, but we do it anyway. Why is it okay for the whispers to not stop us there, but they, not that I obviously, I don't want Barrett to die, and I am happy that they saved him in this instance, but why do they not stop us from doing that, but they save Barrett's life? They just, they're... I hate them because they're not even following the same rules that they're establishing. 
Because Red 13 is like their fate. They keep everything in order. They do everything as they have to. Aerith talks about how every time they touch her, she loses a part of herself. I don't really know what's well, going on there. And she, oh, and, and Red is even like, it was, you know, you, it wasn't your fate to die here or whatever when Barrett gets back up and it's like, why I, none of this yeah it, it just it's it's all very contrived and, and it just seems like it's convenient they want Sethroff to show up and be the bad guy oh he killed somebody you really care about admittedly I will say the fact that he was stabbed and then immediately has to escape makes a lot more sense because when we then immediately fight Rufus, it's obviously Cloud by himself. It now makes perfect sense that nobody went with him because Barrett was just stabbed in the chest. Yeah, he's not in any position to be fighting. Cloud goes after Setheroff, and then he comes back, and we establish that Barrett is better, but they still don't know if he's good. And then their ride gets blown up and Rufus shows up and Cloud goes out to deal with it. Whereas he's like, get Barrett out of here. He is not in a position to fight. And specifically their ride. Cause we didn't mention that before was the main avalanche branch was sending a helicopter for them. Cause wedge. Yes. Wedge uh, made arrangements. And I, I just, <laughs> and then yeah, Rufus's helicopter shoots it. I'm not, I'm not going to harp on it anymore because I'm going to harp on it a lot later. I yeah. hate the whispers. I don't disagree. So like, like we said, I'll, I'll just say the one thing, either change it or don't. I don't care. I, I wouldn't care whether they decided they were going to completely retell this exact same story or change it. But either way, the whispers are extremely stupid and it feels like a like half baked attempt to sort of have their cake and eat it, too. And it winds up being worse than either option. I know. I feel like if the game had been a direct copy and paste and they weren't in it and then something at the very end changes like it does here. And then they go into, yeah, literally, you know, anything could happen at this point. That would be way better than just them existing the entire time. Right. Because they just shouldn't. They, they, they could have framed so easily. They could have framed that we were losing in the plate mm -hmm. because that's what happened in the original game. Yeah. Like Rude could have roundhouse kicked Cloud and sent him like tumbling to the ground or something and then get, had his opportunity. I mean, yeah, there are plenty of ways you could have done it that didn't make it obvious that we should have won, but the Whispers did something. Because they could have easily had us only fight Reno, and then after we beat Reno, they could have had Rude, like, crash the helicopter into the button or something. Or, like, was all, like he got out at some point and was doing that while Reno was distracting us. I mean, there's plenty of ways you could have done it. Yes. But no, we have to have the fates in there because, oh, these whispers, they just have to be a thing. I, I'm not going to go into it anymore the, because there's going to be plenty of opportunity to do that later. So for right now, Rufus. You I'll go be honest. Up. I was really looking forward to the Rufus thing and he did not disappoint. What do you mean? Like, I thought that fight was super cool. Oh, the fight was awesome, but I didn't think it was nearly long enough. But like, it was just apparently like it's just really funny because he really was not a hard fight in the original and i'm not going to say he was a hard fight necessarily in this one but like he's got so many more tricks up his sleeve and it's really interesting that like just like the turks you know all the mako and stuff apparently isn't necessary to make you a super cool guy because i mean unless rufus has been experimenting with mako on himself which i guess is possible but like 
he keeps up he really have well. He doesn't in his eyes because it's right. very clear that he doesn't. They give a close up on him, specifically showing that his eyes are blue and not blue and green. Yeah. So I paid a lot of attention to that because I wanted to see if he was like soldier guy. And, and I kind of have to disagree with you. I thought he was harder in the original game than what he was here. Really? I didn't. I, I mean, I, once I realized what he was doing, I didn't really have a lot of trouble, but like there was a lot more going on with it. Whereas with like in the original, it was just cloud mashing attack and casting cure a couple times. I mean, maybe, but that's all I did this time. I just shot fireballs, killed his dog in like four hits. And then he immediately started just teleporting across the, the screen, which was super awesome. But all you had to do was block until you got a limit break and fight over. That fight was like, seriously, like maybe a minute from my perspective. It was so much easier than what it was in the original. That's interesting because that fight went on for a long time for me. Oh. Well, I'm sure part of it is also that you were level 50. I was not level 50. I thought you said you were max level. I said I ended the game at 42. Oh. I thought you had grinded your way all the way to the top. But no. Okay. I I grinded my way to completing the AP stuff. I did not grind my way to level 50. I wasn't going to sit around and do that. Are you kidding me? I well, ended the game sure right were. around at 42. No, the, the differences are play styles. Again, you are attack. In this case, you needed to use magic on him. I had the purple magic sword, and I blasted him with magic so many times. I killed his dog so fast. And then immediately when he's doing his running around thing, I'm like, well, I clearly can't attack him. So I just blocked until I got my limit break, which is an automatic hit. I got him all the way down to his health and he staggered. And then I just basically hit him a few more times done. It, that fight was so easy. I didn't have any problems with Rufus, which is interesting. Cause like if you, if you attack him regularly, he has like an automatic counter attack and stuff. Like there's a lot of it, like, and then like he has a bunch of trick shots with his gun. I don't, I just thought it was really interesting. It, it, don't get me wrong. His fight was super cool. It just, from my perspective, being super ranged and not getting close to him at all. It didn't matter that he was like super fast or that he was using magic or whatever. I was set for that fight. Yeah, fair enough. Regardless, I just I I, I really liked the extended Rufus bit. Now, like I, I had been kind of curious what they were going to do with it, and I was just I just I was not disappointed by all the cool things that happened. Oh yeah, it's very clear that now the fact that he uses two coins to somehow turn his gun into a laser. That was a little weird, but you know, like, I don't know what's going on there, but Barrett has a gun for an arm and materia is a thing. So maybe his gun just had materia. You know what? You know, what's really interesting about that is it, it reminds me a lot of an anime called um, a certain scientific railgun. Oh, yeah. I've never seen that one, but I've heard of it. I've heard it's very good. Where basically her her power is, you know, she can. Well, one of the main people, the the girl Makoto, she her you know power is electromagnetic fields and she gets to the point where she can use that to she she turns herself into a railgun and oh. she takes a coin with her wherever she goes and when she uses her electrostatic powers or whatever just right it literally just blasts things exactly like this she basically and she's one of the most she is one of the top powerful people in this section because of that, because her railgun basically makes her a unbelievable powerhouse. Anyway, we actually skipped over something because before you fight Rufus, you fight Genova. Oh yeah, 
I had kind of forgotten about that because it was so weird. So, like, typically in the original game, pretty much every time Sephiroth showed up, you fought Genova. And so that happening wasn't a surprise, but it it was very interesting. And honestly, like, fighting Genova felt like one of the places where the game could have ended. Like, you could have put the Genova fight at the very end or something. I, I, I get a little weird about the order of certain things near the end, which is part of where I was saying last episode of where I was like, eh. But the Genova fight, you know, it's a big tentacle monster thing. And the tentacles keep coming out of the ground and you fight them and, you know, it... it Cool. But I, mean, why, I, get, like it's, I guess my question is, why would it end there, though? Because the, well, no, the I'm end saying would, like you could have done Genova like at the end or something rather than right there. Like, I, there's, there's multiple sections that feel more like a final boss than the actual final boss was that we'll get to. Well, yeah, I will say from my perspective, Genova was the final boss of the chapter and Rufus was just the easy just kill him. Well, it's not even that because there's multiple bosses still to come in this chapter, not just Rufus. I thought you the, said Ruf. I thought you said the president was the end of the chapter before. I thought you said no, the entire escape is its own chapter. That's it is. But like the uh, by that I mean like the motorcycle part and stuff is chapter eighteen. Oh, pretty much the entire through the end of the building is still chapter seventeen. I'm almost positive. What? So you fight like there's multiple boss fights still you going, and Genova's just like in the middle. You don't even get to a save point until the very end of the game anyway. So I consider all of this and including the escape chapter 18, because I can tell you for a hundred percent certainty, Andrew, that there are basically no checkpoints anywhere. Now I didn't die to Genova or Rufus or in the upcoming battle, but I do die at some point and I go into an ultimate rage. <laughs> I so mean, surprise i mean the genova fight is is you know weird cosmic horror stuff which is what you would expect because that's what genova is i mean i guess i shouldn't even say cosmic horror because it's really just a bunch of tentacles like there's no like weird sort of trippy things that i feel like you should have for something like genova but maybe hopefully in future fights we'll get something like that and that is what i that is what i was alluding to last time to say that every single one of these bosses is unique every single thing that we see from President Shinra on is completely unique and we've never seen it before. And I absolutely loved it. Yes. In that sense, like I said, the bosses, other than a couple of repeats of a couple bosses, but like very few in general, the whole game, each boss is mostly unique. And you're right. Like that is something that we should give the game credit for. After you wail on Rufus for a while, uh, the Turks pick him up in his helicopter and he bails just like in the original game. Mm hmm. Meanwhile, uh, Barrett and Aerith and Red 13 are getting out of here. So then there's that boss fight that in the original game was in the elevator. And it goes a little bit different this time. Yes. The, 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 the elevators are crashing down to the end of the section. And we actually see Wedge again. Yeah. Wedge is struggling because he can't seem to find his way out. And he sees Barrett just flying down and he's like, Oh, oh, hey, no. okay. and then he sees the giant robot because the robot like shoots the cables or something, I guess. Like, I don't know what exactly what happens there, but the, yeah, the elevators fall out of control. And so it's like, oh, cool. Hey, look, there's Wedge. He's still a guy. Hey, guys, he's still alive. Don't forget. And so then we get to the bottom of of the whole thing. And I got like the executive section. Yeah, that boss fight was stressful. Yeah, because it was cool, though. 
it was so cool and it it took forever it took me forever to fight this thing even though i was using its weakness because i had barrett with his electricity gun i didn't have ekg though so that might have made my time a little bit more difficult because i kept just using uh, maximum fury on the wheels it was so difficult for me to cripple the wheels and i had gotten to the very i had gotten that boss fight through all of its sections where it does this transform or whatever and i had had two limit breaks for barrett during that time and i had had one limit break for Aerith, but that's only because i was saving it until i really needed it and it had got to the point where it it had pinned me with its fire stuff there was nowhere i could go it's pinned me i had one limit break for barith and then a barith you've you've called him barith multiple times in the last couple episodes and i was just enjoying that (laughs) well i had one limit break for him and i used it and it still had a sliver of health left it busts through the final thing and it starts charging its gun and i think it's over i think i've screwed something up i'm definitely going to lose because I didn't kill it fast enough. And now, like, it is about to attack me. And Aerith and Barrett have nothing to hide behind. And there is nothing to stop it from killing me. And I was like, well, this is it. One latch ditch effort. And I used a maximum overdrive. And I killed it, like, right before it was about to do its Kamehameha thing at me. That fight was very stressful for me. But it was, again, it was so much fun. Even though oh, yeah, it, was, it was a really cool fight. Because, like, there are certain parts of it where I'd have to become Aerith for a minute so that way I could get its attention and then immediately switch back to Barret so I could attack him with the overdrive and specifically kill those barriers. And then as soon as you do that, it starts running you over. So it's like, okay, well, let me stay near a pillar so that way it can't get through to me. And then let me just attack it. So let me sort of cheese it in a way. I think I had the most fun with this fight from all of the bosses. Coming up, the escape is also kind of fun, but it's also kind of irritating. But yeah, so what what was, I guess, what was your experience now that I went through? One thing that the game did relatively well, and we're talking about the uniqueness of the bosses, is... Most of them are really well designed for the characters that they give you. Like, again, that that robot, you know, you're hiding behind pillars and stuff, and then you can just peek out and do some shot because you have both of the ranged characters with you. Although, I cannot even imagine how miserable that would have been if you had been using one of Barrett's melee weapons. Oh, if you if you had been stuck with Barrett in melee mode, you might as well have just given up. I would have just cried. Because I I don't even know how that would work. Yeah. I guess lots of materia and ethers. You know, like being in this big arena where it's with stuff that you can hide behind and then duck out and do some damage, like the environments and stuff were all well built for the characters that you're playing as for the most part. Yeah, because this was very much a ranged battle and you had your two ranged characters with you. You had Aerith and Barrett. And I will say, Aerith, I, I do not think Aerith was useless in this battle. Because of the way they set the battle up, using both of them was a necessity and it just worked well. Well, again, like we were talking about cheesing it. I feel like I cheesed a lot of the fights in this game because of the fact that the enemies almost always focus on whoever you're currently playing as. And and that's fair. And so anytime somebody got in a bind, I would switch to somebody else until I could get a chance to heal them or whatever, and then it would be fine again. And then that was one thing that actually annoyed me a bit because 
even if I wasn't attacking, especially this happened in the rude fight. I was 100% focused on him with Cloud. As soon as I would switch to Aerith, like the second I hit the button, it feels like he immediately took all of his attention right onto her. And I'm like, dude, I can't heal yet. And that was that there have been many times in this game where that mechanic was super frustrating because it felt like no matter who the player is playing as, you immediately focus all your attention on them, even though they may not be a big damage dealer and it makes no sense to focus on them. Do it anyway. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree. And But like I, this fight's a great example of that, because if the robot would you know, use the fire jets and pin Barrett or whatever between them, I would switch to Aerith and then he would not do nearly as much damage to Barrett because he'd start paying attention to me. As far as the AI in this game goes, that is something that like always kind of bothered me a little bit. I had a very similar experience. So you kill the giant robot thing, which again, like we said, cool fight, but now we're basically done. It's time to leave. You go all the way down, take the elevators down the rest of the way and get pinned by Heidegger, who's got a huge massive troops at the exit and oh no this is gonna be it for our heroes what could possibly happen here cloud busts down in a motorcycle and tifa busts in with the truck everybody hops in and cloud knocks over all the shinder people with his motorcycle and with the it, exception of heidegger which it specifically makes a point of like it's not even like heidegger gets out of the way cloud literally stops like millimeters from his face and again here's your cool guy theory he's definitely a cool guy if they try to say later in this game that he's not a cool guy, they suck at storytelling. And this is probably even a bigger example than the President Shinra stuff, because like, this once again... This has to be the biggest example. No, no, no. I was of something else. Once again, we have no qualms about blowing away all of these Shinra soldiers, you know, knocking out all of these Shinra soldiers, but we pull ourselves back before we fight the the big guy who is the person who deserves to be knocked out more than anyone else. Here's the thing. I have no idea how they would explain this as not knocking out, as just knocking out those guys, because it's the Batman theory when you run over people with the Batmobile. The weight of this thing, and as fast as he is going, hitting any of them in the head with this motorcycle, maybe it doesn't kill you, but it will give you long-lasting mental damage i myself have been in a dirt bike accident which isn't the same in my case i hit the ground going super fast which is significantly softer and has more give than a giant metal motorcycle and they thought i was going to have brain swelling there is no way he did not kill one or two of those people but again why did he stop short of heidegger did right, he just the- miss maybe that's why you know what andrew you're right he isn't a cool guy because a cool guy also would have hit heidegger and again like if there was literally anybody who deserved it it's him and then it's just once again it comes back to that storytelling morality of you know we can blow away all the mooks but we can't we we can't be bad to the the actual villains because then we're being bad people that's assuming cloud did it intentionally because it doesn't close up it doesn't give you a close-up on cloud like hitting the brakes in a certain way so he won't hit heidegger okay that's fair but then the other thing is 
why not just go ahead and hit Heidegger after the fact? Because if they had done that, that would have made the ensuing rest of the game significantly easier. Oh, I agree. I did like the part where he throws his sword into the window. To break the glass. To break or the, to weaken glass, the glass. Rather, yeah. Weaken it. Allow the Shinra guy to just give up and leave. Maybe the guy that Cloud saw earlier and recognized yeah, I, I, him I, as Cloud. I was wondering about that, too. Which we didn't mention, but we have yeah, now, the, the, so whatever. There is a moment where there's a Shinra guard. When you, it's, it's the part where you're walking around looking for the executive who sees you, and everybody's like, oh, no, we're going to get caught. Which, again, extremely confusing because it's not like we haven't been making a scene repeatedly at this point. I will say, during that whole section... Barrett is constantly making fun of Cloud like, oh, paperwork and uh, this makes you feel at home, Merc or uh, soldier. He keeps calling him soldier boy the whole time. And I, I, I can't stop thinking about soldier boy, the rapper and his bootleg <laughs> video game console. It's a deep cut in the Final Fantasy seven lore that soldier boy exists and Barrett personally got burned by his video game console and that's why he makes fun of people by calling him that. <laughs> that's why he keeps calling Cloud Soldier Boy the whole time. Why on the earth code. is he doing it? He just it's like every time he gets an opportunity he's like, hey, Soldier Boy. I'm like, okay, listen, we we can't have we we can't keep talking about Soldier Boy. Every single time that Barrett mentioned Soldier Boy as my wife was playing the game, I would immediately spin up Soldier Boy the song, and then she'd give me this look of, I knew it was going to happen, but I secretly hoped it wouldn't. <laughs> I, I had very low expectations, and you still disappointed me. <laughs> but, but yeah, and then he proceeds to break the glass, grab his sword as he's falling down in slow motion, stay right... Cloud is literally the coolest dude on the planet. No one has done anything remotely as cool as the stuff he's done, including Sethroth. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so if they go with the same thing in the, in the next one, it's going to be weird. It's, I'm going to be like, okay, this is the dumbest plot point I've ever heard in my entire life. Because... Sethroth even says this time, uh, hey, uh, you were a soldier, dude. And then, like, everyone's like, and then Cloud gets a headache or whatever, and then nobody ever brings it up again. Because that's in that section where they're talking about him, and he's like, oh, are you playing soldier or something? And then Cloud's like, yeah, I am a soldier. And he's like, yeah, no, you weren't. And then he cuts the floor and everybody falls and then they just never bring it up again. You're really going to tell me that no one else heard that? Nobody else heard that. I mean, apparently not. Or, or, well, Aerith obviously already knew that because she knows everything. So she's just like, yeah, that checks out. And she's like, oh, yeah, 100%. I have superpowers now. Don't worry. D just forget about it. I'm all good. I knew everything the whole time. I'm also secretly like I divine the future because uh, I know everything that's going to happen in the future. Yeah, that's just how she rolls. And so we get to leaving in probably the coolest way I've ever seen anything happen. And then they just stop in the road for no reason. Well, the reason is because they see the giant swarm of like absurdly large swarm of whispers surround the Shinra building. But why would you stop? Like, okay, cool. Well, I'm out. Which 
comes back to why were the whispers so upset about this again? I don't like what? I guess it's because other avalanche was attacking, but like it, again, it's such a weird. That has to be the only thing that I can think of is that other avalanche was attacking because I have no idea why they were there at all. And and so many of them because it was like like abs- like thousands of whispers show up and swarm the building. And this is everything has happened exactly as it did in the original game for the most part, yeah. Other than, you know, other whoever showing up, but did was there just this unbelievable force of avalanche that we just never saw and that's why there were so many of them? I, I get that's the problem. It's like they don't really establish why. It's just nope, can't. Nope, everything's wrong. Can't do this. The question I have at this point, Andrew, is do you think Wedge is dead? Yes. I disagree. So to put context on this, in this section, when the massive army of Whisper shows up, Wedge is once again trying to get out of the building and a bunch of whispers show up and shove him back. And then the, it, it fades to black and there's the sound of, of shattering glass, implying that they threw him out the building. But I don't think they were actually throwing him that way. And I disagree that that implies they threw him out of the building. I think they kept him from... Again, the game explicitly stopped short of showing you his death. Just like before, I don't think he is dead. I mean, it's possible that they'll do yet another like bait and switch on him and have him be alive again in a future game, which at this point, I'm honestly getting annoyed about them constantly doing this with Wedge. But I don't, just because there's glass breaking does not, to me, insinuate that he, that must equal death in this case. I mean, I guess, but like he was very high up. <laughs> Nobody said he had, why do you assume they threw him out of a window? Okay, I guess they all they're doing is stopping him from progressing. Maybe that just means he gets caught by Shinra and well, he becomes a what Shinra. What is the prisoner? purpose of the glass breaking if not to imply that? I don't know, but what is the purpose of explicitly showing you him being crushed and then that exactly not happening? He says he says specifically just make sure it was all for nothing, which I believe is what Biggs said when when Biggs had died, just make sure all of this was worth something. And then glass breaks, but that doesn't explicitly mean that he's dead. That to me, that could mean okay. any number of things. Maybe they they're not him. going to kill him, but that is clearly what they intend for you to think at this point. I mean, maybe, but considering they intended for him us to think that he was dead earlier and he wasn't, I have to. I, I in my opinion, I think he's still alive. And again, maybe that's what they'll turn around. But at this point, like, like I said, I'm honestly getting pretty annoyed at like the constant like fake outs with wedge like just commit to one or the other but you never explicitly see him die in this case all you see is they keep him from from progressing and he ex- he specifically says you're not going to stop me this time that gra- glass breaking could be him breaking through the whispers as well there's so many different things that you could imply there and i i really don't think he's dead if he is i'm wrong and it is what it is I really don't think Wedge is dead, and I don't think they were explicitly implying that he is definitely dead this time. At least, that's not what I took out of it. Okay, I definitely did, because like that's I, I don't know what else you would do that for, but... I mean, I guess, but... So, at this point, we're Another in... cliffhanger? 
Because we well, need so many of them? Okay, well, I mean, yes, like, it could be a cliffhanger, and they're going to fake it out, like I said, but they clearly, like, the way they framed it, it seemed pretty obvious that that's what they were trying to get you to think. Maybe? Or Wedge was finally breaking out of his weakling shell. Maybe he becomes, like, a super big Hulk, like Barrick. Now, now he's Barrett the Hulk. Maybe he comes back in the next game and he's like this massive Hulk dude with two guns for arms. There you go. Because okay. he fell down and, and sliced his hands off and, and that was the glass breaking. You also didn't hear. I'm just saying I am not going to take anything anymore with this game at face value because nothing has made sense specifically with these whispers. They kept Wedge alive just so they could kill him here. That makes no sense. If they were perfectly fine with him being alive before, why would they care if he's alive now? The fact, why would they save Barrett and, and, and not have killed him before? Like, it just doesn't, the whispers no longer make sense to me. And that's why I just don't believe that he's dead because nothing about the whispers makes any sense at all. I mean, you do make a compelling argument in that sense because the whispers are complete nonsense. <laughs> yeah. So at this point, it's time for the motorcycle escape from the city, which, you know, uh, this is where I was expecting the game was going to end, right? And this is chapter 18 of 18, so we're, we're, we're at the end here. There's yet another moment where the whispers save everybody because Shinra apparently planted a bunch of bombs and then they blow up and the whispers save them. I want to point out that there is no save point here. There is no official thing that says you are in chapter 18. I thought there was. I thought it popped up on the screen. I did not. I had no idea that this was apparently part of chapter 18. No clue. But yeah, so it's another motorcycle sequence, but significantly longer, like way longer. And well, like you get health back at multiple points because Red 13 heals you because it's that long that you're basically there's no chance you're going to get through this in one health bar. Except for the fact that it was so annoying that he only healed you between sections. When it got to the actual boss section, I was at full health, sure. But that boss definitely killed me because I wasn't prepared for some of the stuff that it was going to do. And the controls, I, I while I think that just fighting random dudes and fighting that one guy, the controls weren't super bad. The fact that Barrett, Aerith, and Tifa are in that car and can get in your way and not allow you to actually get up to hit one of the front things makes that fight so much more difficult. And I had a lot of problems with it. And I ended up having to do the entire boss again because I'm sitting there begging Red 13 to heal me and he just never does once you hit the actual boss. But yeah, so... Specifically, the boss we're referring to here is that boss that shows up at the end of the motorcycle sequence in the original game. You actually fight it on the bike this time, which I actually thought was a significant. It was a weird fight, but like, again, it makes another example of them doing something a little more interesting with the boss fights than just a regular fight. Oh, yeah. I d don't get me wrong. I thought it was a lot of fun. I was annoyed that I had to do it twice, but I did really enjoy the boss fight in general. You know what, though? This was a really good opportunity to bring Roche back, and they didn't. Yeah. I, you fight him the once, and then he shows up one other time. Or no, no, yeah. You fight him the once on the bike, and then you fight him once in the thing, and it, it and then he just never shows up again for the next two-thirds of the game. Like, what is that? 
So he's like mid-boss? Yeah, but mid-boss you fought four or five times. I know that, but I'm just saying, like, I just don't get it. Yeah, and we were all excited about there was another interesting soldier guy who could be a recurring villain, and they just don't do anything with him. Because I was fully expecting he was going to show up on his bike in this section. Like, I was all ready for it, and then, no. I was really confused by that whole thing. Because he's like, don't die, which obviously means, hey, I'm going to see you again in the future. Maybe they just don't use him in this game anymore. I mean, they obviously didn't, but... Like, is he going to follow what? us in future games? I guess. Like, I don't know. What on earth? Because like, I really thought he was just going to be the recurring boss that was going to show up several times in this game. Like, every time you bothered Shinra and stuff, you know, or fight him somewhere in the building as you're climbing up. Like, there are plenty of places where I'm like, you, this is a good time to bring Roche back, but they just don't. Yeah. I mean, heck, Roche could have been the one to drop the thing because you beat up the Turks. Exactly. They could have put him there. And he's crazy enough that it doesn't even matter if he does it. Then you could at least say that the Turks at that point are morally ambiguous because that dude comes in and he's just like, and drops it. Like laughs like the Joker, does chaos stuff and just leaves. They could have immediately, they could have absolved the Turks from guilt. They still could have been guilty in the fact that they took place, but they could, that, that could have been part of their redemption arc. Oh, but no. I assume that was going to happen, Andrew, but the whispers just stopped him. Even though, again, he didn't exist at all in the original game, but this time it's okay. And suddenly the whispers are okay with his existence and the fact that we fought him. Because that makes entire sense, which is why the the, the whispers are just absolute uh, garbage. And anything that they're in, that's why I'm sitting there going, yeah, he's not dead. Because the whispers are just garbage and they're just the rules just don't apply at all. If anything, I think... Wedge was caught by Shinra. If there's anything that I think that happened to him, I think he was caught by Shinra. And maybe, you know, we'll have some mission to go get him from from something or they do experiments on him or whatever. But I, I just I don't I honestly don't think he's dead based off of everything that I've seen in this game so far. And the ridiculous just rules not applying in some spots, but applying in others. If he is just dead, then why didn't they just kill him before? Why didn't we just go back and find nothing? Just so that way he can call headquarters to come in and help you? They were coming anyway. The mayor could have facilitated, oh, hey, the other avalanche is here. They're with you, right? Like, are you going to get them out? And the mayor could have facilitated that. Wedge didn't even need to be there. I, I'm just saying the, the rules in this game just don't seem to apply whenever it comes Actually, to Actually, let's go back a second. Things. How did Wedge get there? I don't know. Because you had to have those fancy grapple guns to get up there. Like, did he bum a ride off of other avalanche? Like, he must have. And maybe he was part of the scouting party or what? Because, but if he bummed a ride off of them, he wouldn't need to talk to him. He would have already talked to him about the whole situation. Uh, no, it doesn't make any sense. Andrew, this wedge was a whisper. He was a whisper the whole time. And that glass breaking was the veil breaking. And then he just becomes whisper. Maybe he was actually Rufus, who was actually Sephiroth. <laughs> yeah let's not bring in that ham-fisted attempt to just put Sephiroth in this game i'm not going to skip over the other stuff but uh why was he there so we, we we finish up that boss battle and now Sephiroth shows up and the whispers create some with the help of Aerith somehow because again now she just has superpowers 
and we're going to go follow Seth Roth to fight him. But because that doesn't happen, we now have to fight the Whispers, a.k.a. Fate itself, in the absolute dumbest boss battle of all time. Which, yet again, another boss battle that feels like, okay, this is clearly set up like a final boss, but... No, we're going to do something else afterwards. No, nope, like, you have to fight Sethroth because you just have to fight him in this game. They're so, like, they could have even flipped it around and had you fight Sephiroth and then, like, what, you know, and even that's in a just cutscene, breaking through the fate or whatever. Well, like, they could have flipped it around and had you fight Sephiroth first, and then, you know, maybe he gets one up on Cloud or whatever, and then the fate stuff swoops in to stop it, and that's how it segues into the fight against fate. But no, we have to save Sephiroth for the end because it's Sephiroth. And I get the whole point of us fighting fate was in or- because we were going to fight Sephiroth, and Aerith specifically says, if we do this now, we are changing everything, including ourselves, a.k.a. like, basically this is, if we fight Sephiroth and we kill fate, all the rules are out the window, which basically means that's giving them a free pass to do whatever they want with the story. Yeah, which, but fine, just do that in the first place. Right, and that's the other thing is like, why have this whole song and dance? It just doesn't make any sense, and it's just stupid and infuriating for the players. I hated it. I absolutely hated the ending. And once... The other thing about it is it's so bizarre because like, oh no, everything is super like locked into place and you can't do anything. But now suddenly you get complete absolute freedom to go and, you know, destroy fate itself. Like it's just, it's it's so out of nowhere. Because every single time the fate had showed up before then, it just seemed like you weren't actually fighting them. They were just keeping you busy until you needed to be there. But now, suddenly, because Aerith, again, is Superman and just does whatever she needs to, she just is like, oh, by the way, I can control fate now, and I can just be like, oh, yeah, none of that matters. We're just going to go in and kill fate. What? So, so if the ancients had this cool power to defy fate, then why are they all dead? And if fate is the planet, the planet is just like, um, all you ancients that seem to be one with the planet and everything and all of you are taking a lot of good care of me and i'm like totally good and everything's fine uh screw you um just meteor kill all of you you all suck uh and fast forward to now we have people that are just gonna drain me and i'm just not gonna do anything about it because Barrett is going to come in and he's going to take care of the problem for me, but it's got to come in these exact sequence and all these people have to die because they have to make more Mako for, for everyone. I hate, I hate the entire idea of the fate being a tool of the planet and just existing in general. Just like you were saying last time, it makes it sound like the planet is just a huge a-hole. Planet is just like, ah, it's just, you know, people live and die, whatever. So the only thing I can think of, because I talked to a couple other people who had played the game, well, we, well processing some of this stuff while I was think, putting my thoughts together, knowing that we were going to be doing this. The only thing any of us could think of was basically that it's trying to lock it into a path that's already happened because then it knows for sure it works out. And so everything else is going is collateral damage that's acceptable because it knows in the end this path leads to it. But like, again, if you're forcing everything constantly, like, why aren't you just doing it? 
Like, why are you making all them do it? The only way the planet could know that is through cycles or alternate universe stuff, which it's like that's the only possible answer. I swear that somebody brought up the fact that this they were alternate universes and fate is the one that's keeping all of them in line. I couldn't find it because I we had this exact conversation and we were like, yeah, they never bring up alternate universes. And I was like, I swear somebody does because that's the only thing that makes sense. Why would the planet be doing this? Maybe it's not the planet. Maybe fate is just its own thing, which is why it's clearly like bigger than the planet because that thing is humongous. But it doesn't just crush you like it easily could. It summons little pieces of itself and then Bahamut. And you know what? You are outside of the fate in general, Andrew. There are zero checkpoints in that battle, Andrew. It also never actually ends battle mode because the entire time, like even when you're running around and stuff, it's still one big fight. Which means you can't heal. Right, you can't, you can't cast spells outside of battle or use items. Because you don't have an ATB bar. And because of that, I died at Whisper Bahamut, which was it Whisper Bahamut for you? Yes, it was. Interesting. I thought it was only Bahamut because he was my strongest summon. I thought it would have been Le- Leviathan for you because no, I know you Bahamut. didn't have Bahamut at the time. So I guess it's always Bahamut. Probably. Yeah. I died there. It took me back to the portal. I had to watch the entire video again because it wouldn't let me skip it. I had to watch that video. Then I had to run to even get to it. And then I had to do every single battle again. And Andrew, I got so angry because you know when this was? This was a weeknight that this happened for me. I had to go to work the next day. And by go to work, I mean go downstairs and log in, but whatever. <laughs> this you still was have to get up in time to go to work. 1 30 in the morning. And there is no way that I'm going to be able to sleep stopping the game there. I immediately quit, did restart battle, bumped it down to easy, finished it, and then beat it on normal the next day again later. Because I'm like, I am I cannot go to sleep at this point without knowing what happens because I am right here. And I was so unbelievable. I, I got ma- I got so mad that I didn't even go into a rage. I went silent. Like the point where you level past. You're, basically, you get so angry that it becomes like an integer overflow and it goes back down. When I go silent, that is when you know. Just leave him alone. Just don't do anything. Because if he goes silent, he is a anything. One word, a pin breaking, a hair. Falling in front of my face. I'll go SSJ and I will destroy everything in sight. Luckily, I have a weight machine. So I immediately went over there and started pumping. <laughs> I got so angry. I was so mad. So I got my workout in at 1.30 in the morning. I'm sure that was great. Just And I'm just imagining you like, like bam, 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 bam. That's basically what was happening. And the house is like shaking. The walls are shaking. The lights are flickering on and off. There's like fires going on in the background because just my my physical anger has manifested itself into actual anger that's out there beating a tree for some reason. <laughs> Turns out I also have magic powers like Aerith. Bet you didn't expect that. So stupid. I, Andrew, I chapter 17... 
I could have done without the entirety of chapter 18. I agree. Assuming that chapter 18 ended where it should have ended at the bike. Because I love Sethoroff. I absolutely loved it. But just fighting him at the very end like that felt so ham-fisted and so... He just had to be there because if you don't fight Sethoroff, it's not a game. Yeah, exactly. Like, it just felt so... And again... If they were going to make you fight Sephiroth, they could have flipped it around, had it, had you fight him first, and then the fate intervenes, and that's why you fight fate or whatever. But the entire structure of the battle with fate, like, it's a multi-phase fight. The party winds up splitting up and doing different things. Like, it, everything about it screams final boss, and then the Sephiroth thing is just a fight. Like It's, it's just, like Yevon. It's just, yep, just kill him now. And then you don't even kill him. He basically gives you some ominous stuff and then just leaves. And then Aerith is like, everything is different now. Oh, no dip. We just killed fate. So a couple things on that. I know you said you stopped using assess and stuff. And like I said, assess was broken for me because of what I have to assume is a bug. But did you happen to look at the descriptions of like the, the fate monsters? No. So... The descriptions are really interesting because it talks about how one of them fights with the sword, one of them fights with their fists, and one of them fights with the gun to preserve the future that they come from. This is the description it specifically gives you. That's right. We had this conversation. I remember that. And that's why I was insisting. I swear Red 13 said something about how they're from a different universe. But I went back and watched the video and that's not true. That's so. So they. So, Yeah. So, which is really funny because a lot of people online are like, oh, alternate universe theory. That confirms it. It's not a theory. That description confirms it. So the real question is, who are these things supposed to be? And I've seen two different theories on that. One is it's future Cloud, Barrett, and Tifa. And the other is that it's the three enemies that Cloud fights in Advent Children. The th- Like Sephiroth's three like lieutenant people. But those are just random dudes. Why would it be them? Pretty sure two of them just straight up die in the movie. And the only one that survives is the one that became Sethroth and then suddenly wasn't Sethroth anymore after Cloud beats him. I thought they all like ingested, like put these materia inside of their arms and like they, I thought they blew themselves up. I thought two of them straight up died for the cause. Well, and I guess the point is that that's supposedly that's one of the theories about who they are, because at this point, the game also starts really pulling in stuff from, like, I guess you could call it the Final Fantasy VII extended universe. But my, so my, my question is, why does it have, why do we have to know who they are? Maybe we don't. I was just presenting those because those are interesting the- theories that are out there. They're interesting, but why would future Cloud, Barrett, and Aerith be like, oh, you guys, that suggests that they've been evil the whole time. If you have to fight, if it, if the game comes back and says that it's the three main characters and they just have to have everything go exactly as it, as it, as it went before, just because they happen to know it works out, that insinuates that they're super evil. Because if I, if I was Cloud, Tifa and Barrett, and I just happen to know that things work out in a specific way, but they're clearly winning here, I'd be like, you go team. You obviously are doing better than us, so maybe things are going to go differently. I wouldn't just stop that from happening. Also, because think about it, like, okay, so if fate wins this fight, it's also broken because now you're dead. Exactly. 
So it's just like, hey, guys, guess what? We're just going to go ahead and kill ourselves. Maybe they're going to, you know what, Andrew, you're right. They're going to kill, they're going to kill fate. And then they're going to kill us. And then they're just going to take our places and act like nothing ever happened. There you go. Boom. Aerith's going to know the whole time, but she's got superpowers to know that she has to die for the cause anyway. So she'll be fine with it later. They just won't even bring it up. So speaking of Aerith dying for the cause, the ominous stuff that Sephiroth says is after you, you know, fight him and then he just leaves and takes you to the end of the universe, which what? But he says, I'll give you seven seconds. And then he walks off. The only thing I can think he's referring to is the point where she's going to die. Seven seconds to the end of everything. And I, I want to point out, I didn't watch Barrett's, but I did watch Aerith's, that scene on the flowers. At the end of it, she specifically tells Cloud, you cannot fall in love with me no matter what happens. To which I think, well, that's pretty presumptuous. I mean, the fact that you're getting her means that you've obviously shown the chosen the I want Aerith sections. But the game is basically, it's acting as if she can just telepath herself to you. Which, again, is is something that she kind of does in the original game, too. So Just another power that she has out of nowhere, that she can project herself to you in a dream. But the other interesting thing is, Sephiroth also seems to know the future and like how this all goes. And she knows that Sethroth is going to kill her, but then she also has to know that the thing that stops him is the materia that she has right now. So she just doesn't use it and lets herself die? None of this makes any sense. She has the thing that stops him. Eh, I'm not going to use it. I need to die. They'll figure it out. The whispers will keep everything in line. I, it, it just suddenly now they they are, you know, psychics and know the future and they can commune with the planet and the fates are part of the planet, but they're not part of the planet because now they are from another universe. It's almost as if the guy who is in charge of Kingdom Hearts is suddenly in charge of Final Fantasy. Oh, wait. So you mean the nothing that makes sense in Kingdom Hearts is suddenly bleeding over into Final Fantasy VII? Kingdom cool. Hearts is light. Cool, cool, cool. So nothing is going to make sense from now on. Awesome. Well, yeah, and if they're explicitly establishing, yeah, we could go anywhere from here, you know, we have to assume it's probably going to be similarly crazy because they're not even going to have the, well, we had to stick to the canon because that was important. Because they just throw it in their face. When Sethiroff says that we can go anywhere from here, he's basically, that is the developers speaking directly to you as the player saying, you got this game, which is exactly like the other one. Guess what? It ain't going to be like that going forward, which is fine. They are allowed to do whatever they want with it. But the fact that they threw the original game down your throat this entire game with those stupid whispers only to be like oh we're just gonna do whatever we want now it's hard not to interpret this as them being like really spiteful towards the fans and be like yeah you guys you suck we we wanted to do all these cool things but we were constrained by you well it's almost as if the guy who's in charge of final fantasy hates final fantasy oh wait he does. Doesn't matter. I'm still going to buy it. Still going to love it. <laughs> Overall, 
even with all of this crap, it, it's it's like the exact opposite of Wonder Woman. You go through that entire movie and you're like, this is awesome. This is so great. Like, uh, who is the director? They, they've done an amazing job. The, the, wow. It's almost as if if you put a woman in charge of, of Wonder Woman, it's going to be amazing. Maybe just literally anyone that isn't Zack Snyder except Patty Jenkins. Much love. Totally love you. Did a great job on Wonder Woman. It's almost as if the last half of the movie, which was all Zack Snyder, super sucked. <laughs> well, tell us how you really feel, Chris. I mean, I don't disagree. The, the third act of the movie felt like it was from a completely different movie. And it was because Zack Snyder suddenly had to put his bull crap in there. And now we have Kingdom Hearts, fine series, lots of fans, love it, totally get it. Story makes no sense. Which is why there's about a million YouTube videos that range from 30 minutes to like 11 hours trying to explain the entire story. And now that bullcrap is going to come into Final Fantasy VII because Nomura is the guy that's in charge of everything? Cool. The guy who openly said in interviews he hates Final Fantasy. Again, why? It is, it is very similar to when they put J.J. Abrams in, in charge of Star Trek when he was openly talking about how he had never watched Star Trek and had no interest in Star Trek. It's like, why then? And he made it exactly like Star Wars. And then Star Wars was like, hey, Disney, um, Abrams, buddy, you did such a great job turning Star Trek into Star Wars. We want you to do Star Wars now. It's almost as if that's the job he wanted the entire time. Oh, yeah. And he openly said it was the job he wanted the entire time. I, I just, I don't understand. As a whole, I absolutely loved the game. And I think that's only because they were actually following the original game. Because at least that plot made sense. Which is interesting because Final Fantasy VII has always had the reputation of being the Final Fantasy where the plot makes the least sense. But it still makes so much more sense than what happened at the end. Yeah. Uh, but then there's a little bit more. I mean, actually a little bit before and after, but... Like I said, we, we're starting to pull in the whole Final Fantasy VII Extended Universe because we get scenes with Zack. How is that Extended Universe? I thought it was clear that he was Aerith's ex-boyfriend. Yes. The first guy that she ever the loved. The scene that we see takes place in the Final Fantasy VII prequel game. It's literally the ending of the prequel where Zack dies, except now suddenly he doesn't die because we've changed fate and somehow that retroactively unkills him in the past. I thought he ended up dying anyway. I thought him... Moving forward was him like I thought he died. I thought he died oh, no. anyway. He, he in the actual game where because in the prequel you play as Zach, that section where all those soldiers are is an endless fight, and you can just keep fighting them over and over until you eventually run out of HP and he collapses and dies, and that is the ending of the game. So him getting up and walking along with Cloud is that the past has changed. So then where was he this entire game? Is this just another universe where, where, where Zach gets to live and Cloud just continues to not be a cool guy the whole time? Which also makes Cloud's entire thing make no sense because the, his, his fake persona was him telling the story of being a soldier guy, but he was telling the story of Zach. So, but now Zach's alive. Well, that's what it, but I'm, he seems to be alive in a different universe. He doesn't seem to just show up in this universe. At least that's not the impression I got. Be I have no idea what to take of that because it because makes no sense. They were all walking past him. It almost seems like Cloud acknowledged him, walked past, 
Aerith clearly acknowledged him, smiled, and then continued on anyway. Well, I, at the very least, it would have to be like him seeing into the past or them seeing into the past or whatever, because all of that happens before Final Fantasy VII proper starts. But then why would she ever leave with Cloud in the first place if Zack is even there? Does he just die from cancer or whatever later? I don't know. But that's the thing. Like, because now everything's different. So is he alive and in Midgar looking for her and just like appeared out of nowhere and she's gone? And now they're just going to do all this time travel crap that they do. And I can't wait to see what happens, Andrew, because it it really is like I I, I truly have no idea what they're going to do from here. At this point, they had better go off the walls with it. And I say that because otherwise it's going to make this entire whisper nonsense feel even more annoying in retrospect of why did we go through all this if you're just going to tell the same story anyway. Oh, by the way, Biggs is alive. Yeah, at the very end, it just randomly shows Biggs being alive. And here's the thing, Andrew. If Zach is now suddenly alive, Biggs is alive, they don't specifically show Jesse, Wedge is not dead. He just isn't. He's not dead. If if Zack is suddenly alive and in the past and we changed everything because we changed fate, then that is po- true. It's possible that that Wedge survives like retroactively because of that, just like Zack did. I don't even know. But you make a good point. Because I think they built them up. They're probably going to do something different. But I think all three of them are going to end up surviving. And this is where I'm saying Marlene is special. Because in that in that section, she specifically tells, I think, Biggs and Elmira that, oh, they're fine. Everything is fine. They have some more work to do, which is the exact same thing that happened for Aerith. Aerith was I like, I remember that at all. I remember her talking to like the sky and saying like and mentioning dad or whatever. But I just got the impression she was talking to stars or whatever. Somehow I completely missed this. Because Biggs, she definitely doesn't tell Biggs because you only get a quick shot of Biggs at the very end. Maybe she doesn't tell Biggs, but she's de- she, it, it seems like she's talking to someone and she's like, oh, I know that they're fine. Maybe I have to go back and rewatch it. But Andrew, I like. But like you say, at this point, we can't really assume anything. Who who knows what's happening? Well, so I know for a fact that my wife is also on my side because she typically you, listens you, to my half of the conversations of the podcast. And as soon as I, I left the room, she was like. Uh, duh, Marlene is special. Andrew doesn't know what he's talking about. So that's two against one, buddy. Okay. They're beating you over the head with it. She's definitely, she's definitely different. I don't know how she's different. Maybe she's also an ancient too, whatever. I mean, if if she's going to be special in some way, that would be the obvious thing. Especially because it's the same thing. Aerith as a child just knew that her mom's, Husband has died, died. and now she just knows that everything is going to be okay. How would she know that? She like, how would she know that? I really don't think Aerith is going, Hey, all of this. I literally just killed fate with my friends. I just saw my ex boyfriend is now alive somewhere, whether that's here or not. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and do, I'm going to take a minute to just telepathically tell Marlene exactly what's going on. I really don't think that's going through Eris' mind. And the only thing, the only logical logical explanation is they're just showing you that Marlene is probably also an ancient. And Shinra probably also already knows this. That would certainly be an interesting change. And like, if they go somewhere with that, you know, I'm certainly not opposed to it. I just thought it was supposed to be like a, 
the presentation because like Barrett talks to Marlene basically by talking to this guy. What I thought it was just supposed to show that they're basically father and daughter are doing the same thing right now. All I know, Andrew, is we're going. This game can go anywhere. The developers said it. I want Scarlet as a romanceable option in Final Fantasy VII Remake Part Two or Three. I don't care. It doesn't matter. I've made no bones about the fact that this is the part of the remake that I was always most interested in because the Shinra stuff is more interesting to me. So I don't care as much. Like I said, I they had better go off the rails and do some stuff because otherwise the entire Whisper storyline will have amounted to exactly nothing and will have felt even stupider than it already does. So that's my first thought. I mean, I'm expecting at this point it'll the part two will probably go up to about the end of disc one, which is when Aerith died originally. I think what's going to happen. And again, having talked to a couple other people who had specific thoughts and and kind of solidifying all of this and where I think it's going to go. I think, and I want to give a shout out specifically to our mod in um, the video games cover to cover discord, who I believe is the first person who told me this, who, who presented this theory that I am, am now running with because I think he's onto something that the seven seconds cloud and company are going to save Aerith, but then that's going to cause some kind of butterfly effect thing and mess other things up. That's going to be like, so then it's going to like ripple effect through things and other problems are going to happen because Aerith lives. The fact that we just killed fate to me says that nothing is going to be like it was in the original game. They're just going to do whatever they want from there. Sethiroth flat out tells you as much. At least that's what I think. I think and I hope Shinra immediately disbands because it was clearly the worst part of Final Fantasy VII to begin with. So Shinra disbands. Scarlet has a change of heart, realizes that she's done wrong, and her and Reeves go out there and, you know, try to help the party. And she is controlling a robot that is carrying around. It's Kate Sith. There's two things. There's a Moogle and then there's the cat. She's the Moogle. The cat is Reeves. And she's constantly hitting on Cloud through the Moogle. And then you find out that it's Scarlet. (laughs) And then just, you know, listen, Andrew. So if Scarlet Scarlet was an option, does that mean you'd be dumping Tifa? I don't know. I don't know. That's what I'm sitting here thinking about. And I'm like, I just, oh, I can't do that to Tifa. But that doesn't matter. Because that's probably not going to happen. Because like everybody else in Shinra organization, except with the exception of Reeves, she's probably going to be super evil. And then I'm going to be like, well, you're past the point of redemption, whatever. But either way, we're not going to know for probably years at this point, because I have to assume it's going to be a while before part two comes out. Potentially. I know that they said that they were working on part two while they were finishing up part one. They specifically said that they what at once they started doing all the polish on part one, they immediately like all hands on deck for part two. At least that's what I saw in in different articles and stuff. That's going to do it for Final Fantasy VII. So now it's time to go back and talk about the thing we started to talk about at the very beginning and talk about where we're going from here. We put up a poll uh, because we couldn't decide whether we wanted to play Persona Five Royal or. Dragon Quest Eleven, and it was literally unanimous. Every single person voted for Dragon Quest. I swear I saw a vote for Persona 5, and then the next day it was gone. I don't know if you can just like revote in Twitter. I don't know if that's a possibility, but I swear I saw one. Not that I care because I wanted to play Dragon Quest anyway. I've already played through Persona 5, even though I never beat the game because I 
Same thing happened with Fez. I got to the very end and I was just like, eh, let me just play something else now. If it if it wasn't for this podcast, I think I wouldn't beat a lot of games. Because I get far enough into it and I'm like, I've done everything I want to do. And I just stop playing it. it. Has nothing to do with like it got hard or whatever. I just stop. What always happens to me is like I'll start a game, be like, oh, I'm going to do everything. And then I'll eventually get to a point where I'm like, I am literally just running as fast as I possibly can to the ending because I'm so done. That was me when I switched it to easy to beat the final boss because I was like, screw this. I did go back and beat it at normal later just so that way I didn't feel, you know, <laughs> I don't know why. I just felt like I needed to. I needed to prove. No, 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 no. Wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Did you ever die in this game? No. Oh, come on. Everybody, let's take a giant step back. And just all bow to Andrew's greatness. The guy hey, I wasn't who has say anything no about it. problems. Thank you, Andrew, for that moment of silence. Everybody will now recognize your greatness. Hey, I wasn't going to say anything about it. You're the one who brought it up. I had to know. Anyway, so we're playing Dragon Quest Eleven starting uh, next time. We're not doing one shots this time because there's just not. We don't have a bunch of games that we really want to talk about, even for one shots. Uh, so we're diving straight into Dragon Quest Eleven. With that, our coverage of the Final Fantasy Seven remake comes to a close. As always, you can contact us via Twitter or our email or on our Discord server, and I will put the contact information for all of those in the episode description. Scarlet got a bad rap. <laughs> 